Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Have you ever been frustrated that you can't find something that does what you're trying to accomplish, like a tool or an app? Do you find yourself saying, I wish somebody would invent something that does this? Now that frustration over something as simple as a hair barrette launched Lisa Lloyd's career as an inventor. Lisa is the inventor of multi-million dollar hair products uh, sold by Scunsy, Goody, and others. Uh, she's been featured on TV shows as varied as Shark Tank and Dr. Phil. And her company, Lloyd Marketing, markets her own and other folks' inventions. Uh, Lisa, welcomed out to lunch. Oh, thanks, Peter, for having me. Liz Shepard's career was also fueled by frustration. Liz believes we can all live better and make more money if we structure our businesses around principles of environmental sustainability. Liz's company, Life City, guides other companies through the transition from traditional ways of doing business to the green way. Uh, Liz, welcomed out to lunch. Great to be here. <laughs> now, Lisa, probably everybody listening to us right now has a great idea for a new product at some point, uh, sometimes after a couple of drinks. But e even if you think you've come up with the greatest idea ever, there's no guarantee the rest of the world is going to be agreeing with you. After 20 years of launching new inventions, your own and some other people's, you must have some sense of what's going to work and what's not. Is it a gut feeling or do you, is there some kind of test you apply to a new idea to determine uh, whether in fact it has legs? Sure, sure, and that's a common problem people have, and I, they, they identify a problem that they want to solve, and the first solution that comes to their mind is the one they end up running off to a patent attorney to apply for a patent on without having really validated that or doing any due diligence in the market. So yeah, the first thing I always encourage inventors or would-be inventors to do is get online and do a market search as well as a patent search, and it's great because Google has its own system, you just do google.com slash patents, and it's a really easy way to find out if there's been anything else that had been filed uh, on similar items, as well as, of course, using Google to shop for other similar products, because you can't get a patent on something that already exists. Wow, now on TV they advertise all these, you have an invention, ship it to industry, mm -hmm. are those guys good guys or bad guys? I don't know. They well, um, that's relative. I think that most of them, if you do your some real basic research will find out that they've been sued by the FTC and have had to pay back hundreds of millions of dollars. So I encourage inventors to uh, beware of those particular companies. Um, I think the, the best thing an inventor can do is learn how to do it for themselves because no one's going to have the passion or the drive behind it. No one will, will be as determined to see it successful and it's just a matter of filling the gap of knowledge. There's no reason why anybody couldn't do this for themselves. Wow. Well, that's advantage of the new technology, right? As that opposed to paying 20000 to one of those companies, yes. Wow, wow. <laughs> they, uh, now, you, what you've done is you've done very, very well selling products that are 
quite inexpensive. Well, the, the most expensive device that I personally invented is a CO2 airbrush, and it retailed for $30, but it was a package deal. It had paints in it, and it had um, stickers and stencils and things, and that was sold and distributed by Helen of Troy. Oh, sure. Um, the least expensive would be the French Twister, which was the first one that was uh, $1.99. Of course, they cost, you know, eight cents to make. It sounds like a make. product you would buy in the French Quarter. I so, guess it's not. It's yeah. just a hair thing, I guess. So the French Twister was, again, it was one of my bad hair days, and I was having a hard <laughs> time dealing with it. I worked at the CBS affiliate in Tucson, Arizona, and just kind of started throwing it up in a twist, but the longer it got, the harder it was to fashion. So I started playing around with toys and and uh, barrettes and cutting them and gluing them back together in my bathroom and lo and behold came up with the French Twister and ended up dealing with a patent attorney after doing my own research, filed for that and ultimately licensed that one to Scuncy. And to your point, it's a volume business, not a margin business. So yeah, at only $1.99, that one's done a little over 20 million, in, 20 million in sales. Wow. Worldwide though, I mean not just domestic. Wow. Liz, we've heard a lot of talk over the past few years from the president on down uh, about how spending the time and money to turn a business green actually makes the business more profitable. This is one of the foundational principles of your business. So walk us through uh, what this is all about in the real world. Are the principles of green economics applicable to every business, a law office, or my dentist, or are we talking about just manufacturing, or how do you view it all? Absolutely. Um, being a green business is really just being a smart company. You're being smart with your resources. So every company, like our planet, has finite material resources to work with. Um, you also have finite team members to work with. You have your team, and that's your team. And so you want to invest in your resources to use them wisely. So any company can just take a second to look at that. Uh, most companies are just so busy doing what they're doing, they're missing these opportunities to look at the system. So being green is looking at the system and trying to find better efficiencies from how can I use less energy? How can I take a waste product and make it uh, a product I can sell? How can I uh, invest in my team so that I don't have to spend the time in finding a new employee because they don't feel appreciated? So, um, you know, we, we talk about green, and most people do think environmental impact, but really we're talking about resource management and from the human and natural resource side, so environment and people. Um, so what we do is we simply give companies the structure to lift up their heads, look at the system, make it more efficient, make it run better for their environment, better for the community, better for their team, and that's green, but it's also profitable. Sometimes when you approach a company uh, on this subject, most people I would assume are saying, oh boy, this is the right thing, but this is going to end up costing me a lot of money. You bet. And, and you're saying that's not true. Absolutely. I'm not, yeah, I'm absolutely saying that every company can take the time to look at their inefficiencies and, and make them more efficient. Sometimes there is um, some costly initial uh, fees for greening your company that in the long term way out, for example, say you invest in energy efficient equipment. That's going to you know, have some upfront costs in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to pay for itself and then some. So part of the painting the green picture is also expanding your mind, not from this moment, but to the long term, and seeing the financial savings over the long term as well. You know, businesses always seem to be, uh, one of the complaints is that they're, they tend to be on such short-term time horizons. Exactly. Is, is it tough to get them past that? Um, it is tough, you know, everyone's busy, but when they do it, they believe in it. And at the end of the day, all of us are seeking, you know, more re authentic relationships with their team, with their customer, 
And when they have that time to do that, they all invest in it. And I mean, we're excited that we've been growing every year. More and more companies are interested in it. How long have you been doing it? Uh, four years, yeah. Now, I noticed one of your clients is, uh, is it NOLA Brewing? Yeah. Okay, give me an example of what, what you would do for somebody like them. I think that would help. Absolutely. So NOLA Brewing um, basically you know, has a very particular business, a particular sector. And so in the, in the brewing sector, there are certain equipment and certain technologies that you can use to, to make that process more efficient. So you can, for example, recycle water that you heat up and use that heat again in the process of brewing your beer. So you're not paying for the energy to heat it twice. So that's something that NOLA Brewing is doing. Also, they are intentionally not using glass bottles because the city doesn't recycle glass. Um, that's and, true. and that's also been something that you, you might have noticed that other beer companies are actually doing after they kind of led that charge. So Vita started to do that as well. Um, and, for example, they're taking their harvest grain that they don't use in their manufacturing process and they're donating it to a farm. So instead of putting that harvest grain into a landfill, they're actually upcycling it, giving it to a farmer and, you know, taking their waste that they don't have to pay for anymore. Uh, and a farmer doesn't have to, to buy it either. So that's really great. Wow. One man's ceiling is a... Yeah. Another man's the, uh, One man's waste is another man's uh, <laughs> treasure, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, the two of you, wh why did you come to New Orleans? Uh, I guess I'll start with uh, Lisa. Um, you were you mentioned you were in Tucson when you found the uh, the first product out there. What what brought you here? I did. In fact, I was raised in Tucson. Uh, after being on Shark Tank, I did a deal with Damon John, and he asked me to move to Delaware with another business partner to help. Re Do people really live in Delaware. Brand. Well, I had to look on the map to find out where <laughs> it was before I went. But yes, they are there, uh, Wilmington. And so I, I did a ten month gig out there, rebranding re and redeveloping the the relaunching basically one of his investment companies. And then um, just kind of, I had an opportunity in North Carolina, I did that for, I built the intellectual property division for a technology company for 18 months, which was fun because I had to go speak at the Pentagon and teach them about IP, it was really fun. No, so the um, Defense Department wants to know about Barrett's. Uh, apparently, I always, I always apparently, view them as a dangerous Apparently, <laughs> yeah, it's a real low bar to get into the government, so. Uh, yeah, and then, and then you know, some friends of mine said, I, I was in a transition, I was finished with that gig and not really sure what I wanted to do, and I had a couple friends say that they thought New Orleans would be the perfect city for me, so I moved here sight unseen. And I got plugged into the entrepreneurial community very quickly, started working with Idea Village, and before I knew it, it just really blossomed, and I'm so in love with this city, I'm not going anywhere. Wow, yeah. that is... Uh we need a lot more people like you. That they is just the need to know about it, you yeah, know? Yeah. Because this is an no, amazing city. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good secret. That's kind of the quandary we have. <laughs> no so where are you from originally? Um, originally from Florida. So I have a funny way of introducing myself. I say that I follow the story of phosphate. So phosphate was mined <laughs> in Florida. Um, it's then taken to Louisiana and turned into fertilizer, shipped up the Mississippi River, uh, used on farms in Minnesota. Uh, then that you know rain falls and brings the phosphate back down Louisiana, creates a dead zone in Louisiana, and contributes to red tide in Florida. So that's basically the story of my life. Wow! So, so I have not, no one has so, ever said that to me so, before. So yeah, I, I was born and raised in Florida. I wanted to do something totally different. Went to college in Minnesota, and then um, I was working as my school sustainability coordinator after I graduated. After Katrina, we came down, volunteered, um, built an office campus studies program. 
anyone who comes to New Orleans is, you know, if they don't know better than to move to New Orleans after they visited, then bless their soul. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I knew better. So I, I moved here uh, after that visit to help rebuild and become a part of the environmental sector here. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's always been, I've always been really fascinated with systems, right? And so most of us live inside these borders of, like, these fake political borders. But the reality is... Minnesota and Louisiana and Florida are all connected, and they may not know that. People who live there may not understand that, but we are. And when we understand those connections, that's when we can all live better lives because we all influence each other. That is a very different way to look. So we shouldn't be looking at these state boundaries and red, blue, and all that. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what would uh, this change to, to a small business mean? In other words, I, I look at your client list, and you've they're kind of across the board. Uh, yeah. uh, is somebody too small to, to even think about this? Or? You know, if you're, if you're uh, definitely, no one is too small to think about it, um, but companies who are just struggling to get off the ground, I might send them to Lisa for talking to me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but any company can do this, and it's just a new lens to, to, to look at your product. And the reality is that more and more consumers, more investors, more um, you know other other companies, everyone's the government, as you mentioned earlier. You know, everyone is learning more and more about social environmental impact in these systems and how does it impact each other? How, what is your company doing? So if your company isn't thinking about it, I don't care how big or small, you you better start or you're going to get left behind. <laughs> At least I have to ask you. You've been on Shark Tank. They seem really tough, uh, almost mean. Uh, was it? Uh, <laughs> what were they like to you? Well, you didn't see my episode. They were like puppy dogs to me. Really? Even yeah. Even I've kind of melted myself here, so Mr. I understand <laughs> that. They... Even Mr. Wonderful complimented me. Like I've never heard him compliment anybody no. else. So I don't know if it was a bad day for him <laughs> or. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting an offer from Barbara uh, Damon and Robert Hershevik and doing the deal with Barbara and Damon and then ultimately closing the deal with just Damon. So it was a process. Um, the show, you're, in my case, we were negotiating for 45 minutes and you only see 10 or 12 of those minutes. Um, but I, I loved it. it. Took The first 30 seconds were the hardest because you have to go out and stand on the red X and you've got six cameras sw swarming around your face and your head. and. For a minute, you kind of have to catch your breath. But as soon as we got going, it, it was awesome. It wasn't hard at all. What did you do for Dr. Phil? So on Dr. <laughs> Phil, the producer called and asked me to come on as a success story. It wasn't for my Twitch, by the way. It wasn't, you know, it had nothing to do with that. It was really for just inventing. Um, he, he asked if I would come on and be the success story because he was doing a show on inventors, and he had five brand new inventors who were trying to decide if they should keep going or quit. And so he did the whole background and interviewed me a little bit and then went on to see this is possible, you can do this and be successful, and then went on to ask the audience to vote on the other inventors and whether or not they should keep going or quit their, quit their day jobs or not quit their day jobs was basically the question. <laughs> it's time to do the checklist. This is the part of the show where we take a little break and ask you a quick question you probably wouldn't find on a, on a loan application. I'll start with Lisa. Uh, when you were a child, were you in leadership positions or entrepreneurial ventures? Yeah, as a matter of fact, when I was in high school, I was a sophomore in high school, and they, this, this lady came in and talked about a program called Junior Achievement. And all I remember was I was going to get out of English for two hours. <laughs> so I said, I'm in. And uh, we actually went off campus. But it was a very different program then than it is now. 
Um, but it was a terrific way to learn about entrepreneurship. We, you develop a company. I ended up being the president of the company in the group that I was in and learned a lot and knew at that point that this was what I absolutely had to do with the rest of my life. And the, the caveat there is that having, since moving here, I'm on the board of directors now for Junior Achievement here as well. So it's been a passion, it's had a massive influence and I love being able to now pay that forward to other children and this in this back community in, back in as well. Tucson, that you? was back in Tucson, yeah, it's a national program. Right, so you were going to grow cacti professionally, yeah. and then, but you found this. That is I wish I could remember what the product was. It was <laughs> candy, I think, but um, something like that. <laughs> Anyway. And Liz, um, what were your career plans when you were in college? And uh, where, you mentioned Minnesota? Where did you go yeah, to? Yeah, I went to Carleton College oh, yeah. up in Minnesota, yeah. So yeah, I, I did a study abroad program though called Semester at Sea and spent six weeks circumnavig circumnavigating Cuba. Um, and it Getting was, ready for an attack? or <laughs> yeah, that, no, no, just really, instead of immersing yourself in other culture, really just immersing yourself in the ocean. So we studied nautical science, maritime history, learned how to navigate, studied you know, the biology of the sea. It was an amazing um, experience. Um, and just learning your position on a map based on the alignment of the stars and the sun and pumping the gray water. And, and in the middle of the night, they'd actually make you take the trash and dump it overboard. And I'm sitting there thinking, what kind of environmental institution is getting me to dump my trash into the ocean? Like, this is terrible. But, and then I realized, you know, I'd been doing that my whole life. Just someone else had been doing it for me. I oh. never actually had to take the trash and dump it somewhere, right? And and uh -huh. so that was really like a light bulb moment for me. And just being on that community and understanding how a, you know one little community fits, and knowing that we really are on this planet, and learning that by studying the wind and all that was really eye opening. So I basically, from that point forward, said, you know, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to help people understand that they're on a planet and and how to how to live within it. Were you at all involved in the uh, the warm-up of relations between the U.S. and Cuba that we've had recently? Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I was, yeah. Said, you know yeah. That, that girl on the boat, I, oh, she seems so nice. There's That's a right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I could say it, so. <laughs> now, Lisa, Liz, I want to take a minute to introduce you to Justin Bayer. Uh, we met Justin through uh, the entrepreneurial incubator Idea Village. Uh, Justin's entrepreneurial idea is called Welcome to College, so I wish I had... I had met you 40 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give Justin one minute to tell you about it, and then I'm going to give you a, a chance to ask Justin one question, a question you think he'll need to be able to answer in order to move his business forward. Uh, Justin, uh, give us your one-minute pitch. So welcome to college. We're a company that helps colleges optimize the most critical piece of the college search, which is the visit to campus. We've got online programs and mobile applications which will help a college collect data and understand impressions from the visitors as well as match them with potential tour guides based on interests and values and passions, as well as offline programs where we go in and actually train tour guides and their staffs on how to make meaningful connections as well as share your story rooted in things that are um, around well-being and happiness ultimately, which we believe is the ultimate end game of your college education and your best self and life. Who wants to start, Lisa, Liz? Uh... Tell me a little bit more about where, who you're serving, what schools you're serving now, and how you're growing that. So we currently work with about 40 institutions across the United States, and we're looking to grow that to over 100 in, in the next year. And one of the regions we're really looking forward to kind of growing in is the southern region. We just came back from a conference in Birmingham with all the southern region admission schools. 
And the way that we were received and the relationships that we established there uh, were very exciting. We just teamed up with the University of Tampa, and we have two or three others that we're in conversations with right now, and we'll be looking forward to announcing here soon. Liz? So my question for you is, is how do you make your product really user-friendly? This summer, which is going to be the ideal point for us, is when we're going to re-release our iPhone app and, and Android apps, which will put this experience in the prospective students' hands when they're going on their visits to be not only planning those visits and scheduling their tours, connecting with these folks that they may have connected with on the visit, but being able to do these evaluations and surveys that we've created all on their mobile device. and so. We're, from a user experience, looking forward to the, the mobile, uh, and then ultimately maybe what they could be doing on their watches and other things that, that obviously with what's coming out next. But uh, I think putting it on the mobile is where all these students are right now, and so our goal is from that user experience to put this experience there. Justin, thanks so much for coming by today. We're going to look forward to hearing about your progress with Welcome to College. I'm, I have a particular interest in what you're doing, so I'm sticking with you here. Thank we're, you very much. <laughs> we're going to stick around for a little longer after the show and talk some more about Welcome to College. You'll be able to hear the rest of our conversation with Justin Bayer on our website, itsneworleans.com. Liz Shepard, Lisa Lloyd, there's a big gap between having a great idea and having the courage and tenacity to turn that idea into a reality. You're both inspirational examples of taking that leap and making stuff happen. It's been great getting to know you both. Uh, thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Nice to have you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Lisa Lloyd, inventor and founder of Lloyd Marketing Group, and Liz Shepard, founder of Life City. You can find out more about Lisa's inventions and Liz's intentions. I love that part. By following the links on our websites, www.no.org and it's New Orleans. Com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The bright-eyed Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Now, you can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's NewOrleans.com and www.no.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments.